Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy 1. Ready? Set? Slow? Generally, we want to go. We're at the starting line. We're at the threshold of what we've been working for. Israel's at the threshold. They're at the starting line. They're on the cusp of the promised land when you open Deuteronomy. They are on the plains right next to the Jordan River. That little, that river is all that's separating them from the promised land. The land that God has said their, to their forefathers that their, gener- their children for generations will dwell in this land. They are on the cusp. We ended the book of Numbers, the book before Deuteronomy. We ended that book with God preparing Israel for going into this land. They're charged. They're ready. They're hyped. The future leader, Joshua, has just been given the scepter, if you will, to lead the people. Everyone's got their eye on the future. They're ready to go. And all of a sudden, Moses puts a screeching halt to the progress by climbing up his pulpit and delivering four sermons that are lengthy enough to take up 36 chapters. Don't quote me on that. Uh, 30, 34 chapters. What in the world? Sometimes life can move fast. And sometimes we want to move fast. Sometimes um, we're eager to get ahead. We're eager to go one more step. We're eager to keep going, especially when it's right in front of us. But Moses, right before he dies, wants to slow things down and say, I need you guys to hear something. I need you guys to consider something. I need us to slow down, take a breather, and realize our context. This is where we've been, and this is where we're going. Look at where you are now. Don't just run ahead of yourself. Now, as we get older, we've noticed that time seems to speed up, haven't we? People are denying their age. That's fine. I will admit Life goes faster for me every year. 2018 has been the fastest year of my life so far. This is, this time can tend to speed up on us because of repetition. We get used to living life in a certain way. And repetition kind of, the point of repetition is that it eliminates surprises so that you can cruise and do life with minimal energy. If you had to recreate decisions from the ground up every single day, if you had to figure out your right hand from your left hand every single day, if you had to start over like that every single day, you would be worn, you'd be taking naps. You'd be taking naps every single day. Because that's what it's like when you are not grown up and you don't have repetition, is you're trying to figure things out moment to moment. And that's why when you're a kid, Christmas is a lifetime away and you need naps. When we begin to develop repetition and we know most of life and we can expect things, that's when time tends to speed up. And it's almost as if Moses is saying, look, you've been on marching orders for 40 years through the wilderness. We need to slow down a little bit. Because we're not going to rush into the promised land like it's the wilderness. We're not going to rush into the promised land like you've been living for 40 years. This is going to require a different set of priorities and perspectives and ways to walk. So let's slow down and let's, let's realign ourselves. Let's hear these sermons about God's faithfulness and his truth and, and encouragement to stay with him so that we go into the land appropriately. Not driving too fast that we can't handle the turns that are going to come up. Life also tends to speed up. Time goes a lot quicker. Studies are showing because of technology. Technology enables things to get to us faster. They enable us to accomplish things faster. We can access information 2,000 times, making that up, 2,000 times faster than we used to be able to access information. I remember when I used to have to literally wait for a newspaper or something to figure out if the Angels made a trade or if they won the game last night. Now all I have to do is open my phone and there it is. With the tap of a single button, I have the information. Technology causes things to come to us quicker, but it's also causing us to have to produce things quicker, which is causing a great time pressure. And in the midst of it, studies have been done to show that people that are more attached to technology tend to sense time moving faster than people who break away from it and have moments without technology. 
really interesting concept. So, so that if we're always going around with our little, you know, technologies and devices, and suddenly, like, life is just passing you right by because you're right here glued to this. But those that detach for a moment, life will actually come back to its normal pace. And, and, and again, it's almost like Moses is saying, all right, you guys ready? You set? Slow down. Because we're about to enter holy ground. We're about to go where we cannot just rush unthinkingly. God wants us to possess this land. Not just trample over it, but to own it. To become, uh, to make it become part of our lives. And to grow and bear fruit and children and the, the, the presence of God from corner to corner of this land. So, uh, that's what we are going to do. There was a man who went to go seek advice from a very wise old man. It lived in a, in a very big mansion. So, so, so he goes to this mansion, seeks out the wise man, and says, Hey, wow, look at all these servants and this massive table of food. It's like there's a ball that's about to come later tonight, and there's all these musicians. And it, it, was, it, was, it was crazy what was going on in this mansion. And he had to wait his turn, because many people were seeking advice from this wise man. And then he gets advice, finally. And he comes to him and says, hey, wise man, I, 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 just, I just need some advice. And the wise man just kind of is acting busy, and like he doesn't really have time for him. He says, okay, just, just do this for me. Here, take this spoon with two drops of oil, and I want you to go walk the length of my entire property and come back without losing any of the oil. So the man walks through the entire property carefully, making sure that none of the oil falls off of the spoon. Two hours later, he makes it back and says, I've done it, wise man. And now the wise man asks him, well, have you, did, what did you think of my artwork on the halls, and the walls of the halls? What did you think about the garden that took 10 years for my gardener to grow and cultivate? What did you think about my Olympic-sized swimming pool? I, I, I'm sorry to say, I was so busy making sure that the oil didn't fall off the spoon that I, I didn't even notice them. Then the wise man said, all right, do it again. Take the spoon, do it again. But this time, notice all of the beautiful things of my property. So he goes through this time. He's like, wow, look at these tapestries and this art. Look at this garden. Look at the pool. Whoa, that spa's amazingly big. And he gets back to the wise man, and then the wise man hears him say, oh my goodness, your property's amazing. I can't believe I missed it the first time. Then the wise man said, but where's the oil on your spoon? And he looks at it and realizes he lost all the oil in his marveling of everything around him. And then the wise man said, this is my advice. Learn to walk seeing everything but spilling nothing. Learn to walk, seeing everything, but spilling nothing. So there are two types of people. There is a person who is trying to spill nothing, and he's getting his task done, and he knows his calling, and he knows his purpose, and he's focused on that, and he's got his head down all the time. And then there's the person who is enamored with the beauty of creation, enamored with what God's doing around him, and, and enjoys everything that life has to offer, but they're not very good at keeping the spoon in order. So they're seeing everything, but they're spilling everything. And the advice that Moses wants for the people before they go into the promised land is don't choose an either-or approach. Choose a balance. Slow down a little bit. Don't stop. We're going to go. We're going to do our duty and take the land. But don't go so fast that you miss what is here in the land. So God has been teaching his people, and now Moses wants them to do this beautiful word. He wants them to reflect on the journey. 40 years is a long time. Don't cut that off like it's nothing. Don't just move into the land like there's no history. Let's reflect and let's go in informed because of our reflection. So, a couple of verses from the Proverbs. Proverbs 20, verse 21. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning, will not be blessed in the end. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Here's Israel on the cusp of receiving their inheritance. And the Proverbs, wisdom says, you're, you're not to just grasp at that hastily, rashly, too quickly, because then you won't reap the blessings of it. We need to understand what's there. 
So I want you to be ready, set, and go slow right now. I want you to hear these words. Uh, Another proverb. uh, 21 verse 4. Nope, that's not it. Uh, 21 verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Everyone who's hasty comes only to poverty. And one more, Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Wealth gained hastily, quickly, rapidly will dwindle, but those who increase little by little will actually gain more. So those are some backgrounds to what's going on as Israel's about to enter the promised land is slow down. This is not a finish the job in one night kind of a task. This is going to be a lifelong task. And so for us, what this means is that as we are on the cusp of whatever is in our life tonight, God is not expecting you to finish whatever goal he's given you in a week. He's not expecting you to transform that character you've been working on overnight. He is patient, and he's willing to water your seeds until they bear fruit. He's willing to prune back what needs to be pruned back so that it bears fruit. God is never in a hurry in the Bible. Never in a hurry. And it's as if when Israel has to go into the wilderness for the 40 years, it's like, why are you guys complaining? Like, that's such a long time. 40 years is nothing to me. I'll get the people into the promised land when I want them in the promised land. If it takes 15 generations, it'll take 15 generations. But I want my people to learn how to walk with me as long as it takes. I'm in no hurry. I've got thousands of years. Why did it take 2,000 years for Jesus to come? God is not in a hurry. Why did some of you come to Christ later in life rather than earlier in life? Because God's not in a hurry. It's not about when you get to the destination. In fact, sometimes it's not even about the destination. God is using the destination as a way to get us moving so that in the process of moving, it's the journey itself where we're transformed and we're changed. God was teaching his people and testing them and growing them while they're walking. And now that they're at the cusp of entering the promised land, let's reflect on what God's been teaching you and showing you so that you don't repeat the same errors when you get there. It's like the Wizard of Oz, the way in which the characters all have weaknesses and they're going to the great wizard in the Emerald City to get help for these weaknesses, yet on the way, each of them is overcoming their weakness on the journey itself. The cowardly lion becomes brave on the way. The scarecrow with no brains, it actually becomes the brains of the entire operation on the way. And the tin man who just wants a heart, yeah, he, he's crying over bugs he steps on on the way. They don't realize it, but the journey itself is what's transforming them. Sometimes we're so focused on, I just got to get there, then I've got it together. If these circumstances will fix themselves, or if I can only move houses or get another spouse or get a new car or get a different job or move away from that neighbor, or maybe they move away, if only these things can be in the right place, then I will get my act together. Or then these things will happen for me. And all the while, God is saying, wait, 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 wait. Let's stop. Let's go slow here and let's reflect on life. What's, What's going on? Because it's not going to change just because things around you change. These things are in your life because they're there to change you. Okay, so this is why they're here. Moses is going to teach them to reflect for 34 chapters. Let's begin. Verse 1, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan River in the wilderness in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hezeroth, and Dizab. Verse 2. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb. That's another word for Mount Sinai. It's 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was the place, back in Numbers, where Israel was first 
about to enter the promised land. That's Kadesh Barnea. And it was there that they said, yeah, we don't want the land. And they rebelled against God. And then they went back into the wilderness for 40 years. So it's only 11 days from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. In other words, from the place where God chose them and gave them the law to entering the promised land, it was only an 11-day journey, which took 40 years. Now, God, by the way, did not plan on taking them there over the course of 11 days. He had them park at Mount Sinai for a year to begin with. God knew he wanted to do more than just rush them on. He had things to teach them along the way. But, but notice, just from 11 days to 40 years, see, God clearly isn't in a hurry. And sometimes he knows the best way to get us to learn what he's trying to teach us and how he's trying to shape us is to slow life down so much that you're frustrated with the pace. Sometimes that's when God's saying, there's something to learn now before I can let you go forward. 11 days became 40 years. So verse 3, in the 40th year, they're finally at the end, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commanding to them after, after he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtoreth and in Edrei. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying. Now, law there in your Bible is the Hebrew Torah, which is where we have the word Torah. The Torah is Israel's law. Torah means instruction. That's what it means. It means instruction. It wasn't always meant to bring about the idea of, do this and don't do that. It's the law. It was more like an instructional book for how to thrive. If you want to live well in the promised land, follow these instructions. So Moses is reminding them. He's opening the instruction manual for them right before they go and assemble their inheritance. And he says in verse 6, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the neighbors in the Arabah and the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the sea coast and the land of the Canaanites, the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. Then, in verse 9, at that time... Moses said, I need help. And so he goes into this story. This is all from Numbers. This first sermon is going to recap the book of Numbers. And Moses had to ask for help. And so he got help, which was Moses' very kind shorthand for saying, you guys are complaining so much, I couldn't handle you on my own. He didn't mention that. He just said, yeah, you guys were just a lot to handle, so I got help. Then in verse 19, we see Israel's refusal to enter the promised land. He rehashes this history. So you see in 19, that when we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw. Isn't that a great and terrifying phrase? That great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, You have come, let's go take possession. And then this whole exchange happens in which they send spies into the land. Now, of course, we know now from the book of Numbers, 10 of the spies come back and say, we can't do this. They mention nothing about what they look like in God's eyes. They just say that in the eyes of the people, we look like grasshoppers. And um, two of them say, let's go in, Joshua and Caleb. But in verse 26, we see, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us up out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Because he hated us. Now, when we were in Numbers back at that time, just a few weeks ago, we looked at that exact thing, that Israel was unable to go forward because of their unbelief in the goodness of God. They saw him as a God who had something against them, who hated them, that for some reason needed to just grind his axe on them for something they did, some sort of retribution, and they were terrified to go forward because they didn't feel worthy. 
because they believed in a God who did not love them unconditionally. And we need to be careful lest we spurn the love and goodness of God. Now in verse 30, trying to encourage the people, they're told, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt because before your eyes. So he's going to fight for you guys. But they still didn't want to go in, right? Well, then they hear about, okay, you guys aren't going to go in the promised land. Well, then let's take 40 years. Let's just take a 40-year walk <laughs> to teach you that you can trust me and that I, you should go into the promised land when we come back. So they take this 40-year walk. Now, when they hear that, do you remember what the reaction was? Yeah, most of them wailed and murmured and complained and cried. But some of them said, fine, we'll do it now. And God's like, it's too late. It's too late. We're not, I see what's in your heart. We're not going in the promised land yet. You're not ready. Like, no, 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 we're ready. We'll do it. And so a small army is formed and they go into the land and they, they get beat and they come back humiliated. And Moses is just like, I told you, I told you not to go. Well, look what they say in chapter one, verse 41. This is how Deuteronomy is recalling that instance. Then you answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight. We ourselves? I just read for you verse 30. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. And then they're saying, okay, okay, we're sorry we sinned. We ourselves will go in and fix this. And we have to be so careful that we don't try to live life fixing our own mistakes with our own power. That's a denial of the love of God who's given us grace and says, I am taking care of this. You need to keep going in confidence that I have not changed our status. But yet, how often do we say, oh, no, no, I messed this up. I'm going to fix this in my power and strength. Chapter 2. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. So they started their backward march. As the Lord told me. And for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Many days. (laughs) Many days. A day times 40 years. That's a lot of days. And the Lord said to me, verse 3, You have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. So that's the second time we see this phrase, long enough. The first was in chapter 1, verse 6. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Now you've been circling this mountain long enough. You see what God's doing with them is he has them doing things for a certain amount of time. And he's like, okay, long enough. Because God's not in a hurry. He will let these people circle the same mountain until they're willing to be changed by him. Forty years go by, it's like, that's long enough. Because he sees that this generation's ready. They want to go in. God is not in a hurry. And so Moses is reminding us, ready, set, slow. God has a long enough plan, right? He's a long-term planner. So then chapter 2 account, recounts um, they're coming to different countries like Esau, uh, Esau's country, Edom, and just the negotiations to kind of get around their land as they're going toward the promised land. Uh, chapter 3, we see the defeat of King Og. And so there is this time uh, when Israel began, and we saw this in Numbers, they began to actually conquer some nations on their way to the promised land. Not out of aggression. These were people that stood up and said, you are not going to pass. And Israel's like, you sure? Okay. And they passed. Chapter 3 records that one. Um, Moses, in chapter 3, verse 23, this is where he's forbidden to enter the land. Remember his anger? He strikes the rock and says, you rebels, and misrepresents God. Yeah, he can't go in. So Moses is recounting that. And then in chapter 4, he's finally done reflecting. So chapters 1 through 3, we have this very brief history of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness in the section of Numbers. Chapter 4, he's now going to turn the message from a reflection on our past to, all right, what does that mean for us now going into the promised land? Let's now look forward. We've reflected on those 40 years, and we've looked at what God has done in us. Now here we are. What are we to do to go forward? This is the ready, set, slow. You've heard 
You're having time in this message to reflect. Now this is what I'm going to tell you to do. This is how we're going to take the first steps. So, Moses in chapter 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So in other words, this is where the preacher says, all right, now let's apply this. <laughs> let's apply this history. And so Moses is doing that. He's telling them to listen to everything that God commands them. Now, um, chapter 4 has got a lot of good advice from Moses. We're going to get into some of it in just a minute. I love this concept that Moses is having the people do and having us do as we try to grow into our promised lands that we need room for reflection. There are times when life is just too repetitive, when we're too glued to technology or entertainment, and we're just walking mindlessly. And, and we're missing. We're missing so much around maybe people got, that God's putting in our lives to reach out to, or someone God's put in our lives to pour into us. We're missing open doors. We're missing, uh, we're missing just the, the, the soul-filling joy of recognizing something that makes you laugh or seeing something that you find beautiful or seeing suddenly, I've never seen life that way, but that's really uh, funny. I'm laughing at my mistakes now. Or I see creativity here I didn't see before. Or I've watched this movie a hundred times, but this time I watched it with my eyes open and I can't believe the image of the love of God here. Sometimes we need these things to keep us going, but when we don't slow down and reflect, these things get missed left and right. They wash over us. Reflection is a huge part of life because it can go fast, and we can take so much for granted. And Moses takes three chapters to say, pause, don't proceed yet. Let's think about the 40 years and not throw them away just as failure. But let's see what God's been teaching us in these 40 years. Let's walk into the promised land with these lessons, with this change, with this character forged in the furnace of the blazing hot sun of the wilderness. Let's go in with this kind of a reflection. Because if we cut off the past, and if we cut off our mistakes, and we don't reflect on who we are, how we've been behaving, and what's been driving us to where we are, then we will repeat over and over the same exact actions and thinking and behavior. Space for reflection enables us to say, that's what went down last time. That's how I reacted. I want to respond differently next time. But that difference only happens when you say, ready, set, slow. Give it time to sink in. And Moses says, I'm going to make you do it, so listen to me preach. (laughs) I have a hunger, just one of my personality traits is that I just like to consume knowledge. I love it. It's not work for me. I can't read books fast enough, and that's a problem. I feel like reading's a race all the time. I gotta read this one, and I have so many on my radar, and you can only handle so many at once. And there's this just urge to just like, "Mm, mm, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, and next book, all right, I feel accomplished. I already read as many last year, this year, and I'm only halfway through the year, and you're like, I'm doing great, and you got your little star charts, and Or if you guys use Audible, they count your hours, and you're like, I am maxing out. I beat last month's record. You know, there's, you could just get addicted to progress. We can get addicted to accomplishment. We can get addicted to it's not enough, and I just need to keep. And what happens is, if I'm just consuming books like air, what is that doing for me? Oh, I'm cramming stuff in my head. (laughs) Walk around like this. There needs to be space to reflect. I'm going to ingest this. Well, where is the room for it to settle, not just be crammed in my head, but settle into the heart and into the life? And brothers and sisters, you may not read. This may not be a thing for you. You might, I read like so slowly, I can't help but not reflect on it. Um, Some of us, though, we consume television at the rate I consume books. It's the same thing. 
If, we, if it's just going in without any reflection, you, who knows what kind of influence, what kind of teaching you're receiving? Now, I don't think that we have to be so legalistic to say, well, that word was said or that thing happened, so I can't watch any of this. Like, all of us have different levels of where we're at with that. It will stumble some of us, it won't others. Fine. But if we don't have room to reflect what we're consuming, that's where the mistake is. That's where the mistake is. And if we're not reflecting as we're consuming, we're not giving us space to just look at what this is, you may also be missing where these beautiful artists and creatives in the world are portraying amazing pictures of what it looks like to live a moral life or to follow Jesus or to give sacrificial love. There are so many biblical themes that are intertwined, whether intentional or not, but they're interwoven within film that I fear we miss it because we're not reflecting. Even your recreational time, your I'm wasting time in front of the TV, can be beneficial if we choose to reflect. How about that argument you had with that person again? You're not reflecting. If you did a little reflection, you would see every time I bring up that point, or every time I make it sound like I'm right and they're wrong, it goes down that path. A little reflection will show you that. And now you can think about how to go about it differently. Or every time I say this, they bring up that. Why do they always bring that up? Maybe it's a big deal to them. You wouldn't notice that unless you stop to think about it. We're so used to reacting. Like people get to push buttons on us and they can anticipate what we will do next because we're reactors. You say that to me, I will defend myself. Just instantaneous, reflexive, habitual response. But if I don't reflect on how I'm always behaving, I'm never going to have the space to say, wait a minute, my default is to defend myself. I'm going to not do that this time. And I'm going to actually listen to what they're criticizing because maybe I can learn from that. Reflection is so important. So um, four reasons from our text that Moses gives to us. Why did I give the sermon to you? Why did I tell you guys to reflect for three chapters on your history? Why? Because reflection benefits you in four ways. First, Reflection gives us wisdom. Reflection helps us to grow in the ways of wisdom. See what Moses says in 4 verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God, God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. Remember, that was when um, they were led astray by idolatry, and the pagan girls of the nations around them, the young lads, were going after those girls, and God was not happy about that. Um, So you've seen what happened there. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them for. That will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Who then, or who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? I want you to, I want you to listen to this instruction Moses is saying, because when you go into land, you're going to actually do it. You're going to not just get to land like, oh, we made it. We don't need God anymore. He got us here. Now we're good. No, you're going to still live this in the land. And when you do so, the people around you are going to be watching you. Who are these strangers? And they're going to say, wow, these are a very wise and understanding people. Look at how they live. God is saying, I will make you wise if you will walk in the way I'm asking you to. So Moses is saying, ready, set, slow, reflect on things so that we can now look back at our mistakes and correct them and now look forward for how to live wisely. Reflection will help us to live wise. And that's really what God wants. He wants us to reflect so that we will reflect him. 
Get that? We will become reflections of God when we reflect on God. And that's where true wisdom lies. Proverbs, the book of wisdom, says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Reflecting on God, putting that space in our life to just ready, set, slow, will build wisdom. You talk to people you consider wise, all of them will say something along the lines of, I reflect on life. Now, they may use different words. They may say, I journal. They may say, I take an hour a week to uh, have extra prayer or to go walk alone and think things through. I will turn off the radio at times when there's a lot in my mind because I just need to sift through it. They'll say different things in different ways, but all of it will come down to the practice of reflection. Second benefit, 4 verse 9. If we reflect, we'll be wise. If we reflect, we will also have better remembrance. (laughs) I don't know if this means you will remember all your passwords for all your various websites more easily. I doubt that's it. You know, you'll have better remembrance for the things that matter in life, like who you are, whose you are, and what God is doing with you. So in verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. You, you will forget things. So stop and reflect every now and then on what God has done, what you've heard, what he said, what you've seen, insights, people's names, things that you've said, wow. Stop every now and then, reflect so that you remember these things. It's amazing how much you say, oh yeah, that was really cool. We move on and we completely forget that happened until somebody says, don't you remember like somebody saved your life? They did? Yes, they saved your life. Why did you remind of that? Because we keep cramming more into our lives. We keep trying to go faster and harder and further. Um, if you keep a journal, you can probably relate to this. You, you, you'll look back at something like, even just a year ago, like, oh yeah, I totally forgot I was struggling with that. Ironic, I'm kind of going through that right now. And like, oh, that's how I dealt with that, or that's what I was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how much we forget. Reflection will help us retain these things because we will get to ponder them for a moment. One of the ways we can do this, verse 9 continues. He says, make them, the things you've seen, make them known to your children and your children's children. So don't forget what your eyes have seen. Make them known to others. One of the best ways to reflect on what God's showing you is to teach it to somebody else. Even if it's just writing it down on paper, you're teaching it to yourself. Teach it to your children. Teach it to your wife, your husband, your neighbor, your neighbor next to you at this moment. But just start sharing. That's a way to reflect and to put it in our memories. Yes, God wants us to stop, uh, to uh, uh, ready, set, slow. (laughs) I can't even talk. Ready, set, slow to reflect because he wants us to be wise. He wants us to remember what he's done. Third, he wants us to return He wants us to return. Look at verse 29, chapter 4, 29. Now, what we're skipping over um, is a really, actually, very good passage about idolatry. Telling him, beware when you go into the promised land not to get into idolatry. But then he says, the day will come when you do. And then this, 29. But from there, in your sinful state, (laughs) from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. A third benefit to reflecting is that I will now know where and how to return when I find that I've gone astray. Now, you will. We will. We will at times in life think improperly, behave improperly, forget our purpose, get our priorities all jumbled up and out of their proper rankings. But reflection will say, oh, notice that I am not on the right road. 
I was on a road, but I didn't notice until I zoomed out and saw the whole map that I was totally on the off-ramp. I thought it was just the freeway going that way. And you guys remember when the 210, was the 210 East? Um, you remember that on-ramp that takes you to the mountain from the 210 that was under construction? You're like, you exited this way one day, and then the next week you exited that way, and then it was down, and then it was... Do you guys remember that? I remember because guests would come up to the retreats here, and without fail, 90% were lost. They didn't... We missed the... We didn't know where the exit was. Oh, yeah, there's construction. Where was I going with that? Oh, you think you're on track, but it sometimes it takes a moment to, whoa, what, how did I get off track here? I thought I was going where the freeway went, and I found out I'm actually exiting in a very bad part of San Bernardino. <laughs> yeah, you did that, didn't you? Um, sometimes zooming out says, oh, that's where it is, and now I know how to return. Reflection shows us where we went off, how far we're off, and how to get back. And fourth, wonder. Reflection will give us wonder. I just got to read this whole entire section. It's so good. Verse 32. This is where he's starting to wrap up his message. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, or in the Hebrew there is that Yahweh is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your forefathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. That's just so poetic and powerful and great and beautiful and sublime. Just ask every port of nature, every corner of the cosmos. Ask every little particle of the atoms if anything in the created world has ever witnessed what God has done with this people. And when's the last time we have stopped to reflect on the greatest story ever told? The story of the gospel, the story of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. When's the last time we stepped back to see that whole beautiful picture and just marveled in wonder at has anything like this, anything like this ever happened before in the history of history? Has, has anything better happened in my life? It's easy to think lots has happened better as you're changing the flat tire on your car or replacing the brakes yet again or in another argument with your boss whom you just cannot respect or stand. It's really easy to think, yes, things have been better because you're not reflecting. Right? We can get so defined by the immediate circumstances, but reflection can step back and say, wait. I am just a little speck of dust in a long story about the greatness and wonder of God. And I get to be part of this? This is why Moses wants to give them long messages before they enter. Not to test how strong they are, although that probably (laughs) might have been a secondary role there. But so that they would, though they're ready, though they're set, he could just say slow and reflect. 
Because as we reflect on God, we will reflect who he is to the people when we go into the land. And as we reflect on God and what he's done, we will grow in wisdom. We will remember his mighty works and not forget who we are. We will return when we need to return. And we will wonder at the amazing power of this God. There's nothing and no one like him. Those are the reasons for reflection. That's why Deuteronomy. That's why Moses puts the brakes on and says, Stop! You are not passing until I die and I finish these words. So how do we reflect in life? What does that mean? What does that look like? I'm actually going to steal, full-on steal, something that Miss Huffman Linda Huffman, you guys know, she usually sits here, the president, president of the United States, the uh, principal of Lake Road Christian School. Um, she's taught the teachers this habit, I guess you can call it. Uh, the teachers are to plan your lessons, teach your lessons. When the class is over, you reflect on how your lesson went, and then after your reflection, you apply the changes necessary to make class better next time. So simple, such common sense, so good. So if we just kind of took out the part teach, erase that, plan, blank, reflect, apply, insert the teach part with what it is you do. And if you don't know what you do, just call it living. Plan, live, reflect, apply. Plan. We have priorities. We should have a goal. We know Israel is headed to the promised land. Your promised land should be your plan. The fullness of what God's called you to be on the earth, that's your plan. It should be your priority. Get those things in place. As Pastor Mike likes to say, quoting John Wooden, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. Have a plan. Now live. Try to live out that plan, right? You try to live by your priorities. You try to live by your strategy. You try to live by your plan. Yeah, you're going to not live by it sometimes. You're going to mess up. You're going to get things out of order. That's where step three comes in. Reflect, reflection, reflection, reflection. If I don't reflect, I will never know to what extent my life and my plan are aligned with each other. Where my life and God's will are not matching. Whose will is winning here? I won't know if I don't reflect. Otherwise, I will just keep planning and living, planning and living. And you know the definition of insanity, right? Yeah, to keep doing something over and over, expecting a different outcome, and it never happens. Yeah, if I'm going to just keep planning and living, planning and living, and keep getting the same exact outcomes, reflection gets us out of that loop. That loop which could easily end up for you a 40-year wilderness death march. Reflection has that kind of power to say, yep, 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 plans and life are not agreeing. So then, once you've reflected, apply what did you see? Change it. Fix it. Have another plan. And that's the thing. You just, you do it again now. Okay, I've made the applications. So plans in place. Let's live. Let's reflect. How's it going now? Let's apply the changes. Is God in every part of my life or did I forget about him there? Am I not wise? We can start seeing the patterns unfold. It's about learning to not just live right in the emotional moment all the time, but to step out and to be objectively looking at life and, and not being persuaded by fears and, and emotions and other people's opinions, but to just look at your life objectively as if from God's point of view and say, wow, I don't like that guy. I think that guy should be doing that. And they, oh, I get it. Okay, let's go do it. It's the power of reflection. So two ways we can reflect tonight. Um, very simple. There's so many other ways, and this is really, it kind of goes with you. Learn how you like to reflect, but two things you can take right off the bat, and the first is what's happening right now in this book and right now in this room. Listen to messages, sermons, teachings, the Bible. Now, I get it. Um, they can be boring, and they can go really long. Like, Pastor Brandon's getting close to the dreaded 60 minute again. He's been doing that lately. Um, they can do that, right? Um, they can sometimes be very uninformative. I've heard all of that before. That was very predictable. Yeah, th that happens. And I wonder how sick Israel was of hearing Moses. Good, your last four? Can't wait. Um, but something happens when you sit down to a sermon. Ready, set, slow happens. The yellow light comes on, and you have a moment to reflect. 
And actually, some of the worst sermons are the best because you do the most reflection. It's true. Second, pray backwards. Pray backwards. Um, There are other ways of terming this, and it's been called various things, but praying backwards is to say, this is where I am at the moment. I'm going to go backward in time and pray from that moment on to the present. Now, that's very different than what we usually do when we sit down and pray. Our our impulses in prayer is, I'm worried about what's coming up. I don't know where the money's going to come from, and I want to move. I want my boss to promote me. Like, we're thinking ahead, right? And so we sit down and we pray forward. Um, Praying backward is a way to reflect. And that's not the only way to pray, but it's an important way to pray, and I fear that we just don't do it at all. So what you do is you just... you. Pick any point of time. Um, a good one is just, okay, let's reflect on this day. So what did I do when I, so you sit down with God and you say, God, walk with me through the day. I woke up. How did I feel? Just just kind of re-experience the day in all these moments. And and not like, you know, it's not like literally you have to sit there for 12 hours reliving your 12-hour day or what's 18-hour day or something. You're just, you're just trying to see what's sticking out as you're going through it. And all of a sudden, Boom! Oh, yeah, I totally forgot I was very short with them, and I was a jerk. Let's reflect on why. And you're there looking at that with God, and you're letting him show you where you weren't right and where you can change. And now you're thinking, okay, so the next time this situation comes up, I can choose to do this, which not only liberates you, but it sets you to a forward path of change and growth. It liberates you because no longer do you feel like, oh, it's their fault. Every time I talk to them, we get in an argument. They're just like the, they're just the stupidest people on the planet. Wait a minute. You just admitted that they have the power to take every single one of your free will capacities and make you a mean and fighting person because they're stupid. That's what you just admitted. I can look back and say, actually, oh, I see what happened. I was short with them, which caused them to do that. I have the free will now to change my strategy with this person. Um, And you go through the days, oh, that was a really, really, really happy moment in my day. And you know what? I'm really thankful I'm I'm now praying over that part of my day because now I get to remember the gratitude I have for that. I would have totally forgotten that and kept looking upon the miseries of my life. Which, by the way, as you go through these moments, um, you're getting to—you actually trick your brain into thinking it's happening again. And so you're getting all the benefits of that wonderful moment in your life again. That's really good. It's just doubling up on the goodness of God in your life. And and so we're praying backwards, and we're reflecting on how I've been. Was I in line with God? Where was God in the day? I totally overlooked the fact that God was right there in that person giving me help. And I judged him. Ah, God was there. That peace that came over me all of a sudden, when I should have been stressed, that was God in my day. And the reflection will cause us to be wise It will cause us to remember his works in our lives. It will cause us to know how to return when we go astray. It will cause us to wonder, just to have that childlike wonder once again, that we are in this incredible story with God. So, plan, live, reflect, apply. And every time you repeat that, you're taking another step into the promised land.